Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of A Guy and a Girl Talk Sports where we are a guy and a girl who just really love to talk all things sports. Even at a time where we don't have as many live sports as we're used to, we will always come up with something to talk about or somebody to interview, so make sure you're staying tuned every Monday and every Thursday for a new episode of A Guy and a Girl Talk Sports. Yeah, and thank you guys so much for tuning in to A Guy and a Girl Talk Sports. We know that there's so many amazing sports podcasts and podcasts out there in general to listen to, so we truly appreciate it. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to leave a rating, leave a review, and subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes. And also, if you want a little daily fix of a guy and a girl talk sports, hit us up on Instagram, hit us up on Facebook, and they are GG Talk Sports. But let's get into today's highlights because we have a fantastic guest hopping on the podcast, so we want to skip through these highlights quickly so we can get to the guest. All right, so we're going to get into today's highlights, and after we get into today's highlights, we have an episode, well, it's going to be one of three parts, technically, of our whole entire The Last Dance recap, so part one and part two, we're going to have a guest, and then part three is just going to be us just kind of giving our whole big picture thoughts and what we really took away from the whole entire documentary, but with that being said, with The Last Dance being done, there are a couple of documentaries that are going to be coming out that we think that you guys might be kind of intrigued to I don't know, tune into. So the first one is going to be called Lance. If you guys can't guess, this is all about Lance Armstrong and his life, the controversies and... Self-titled. Exactly, and all of the above. So that's going to be on Sunday, May 24th. And then it's actually a two-part series. The second part is going to be on Sunday, May 31st. The next documentary is called Imperfect. And this is the Roy Halladay story, which is all about the Hall of Fame pitcher. And that airs on Friday, May 29th. The next one is called Be Water, which I'm actually really excited for this one, and it is all about the martial arts icon, Bruce Lee, and that is airing on Sunday, June 7th. And then the final one, last but not least, is called Long Gone Summer, and this is all about the 98 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which airs Sunday, June 14th. Yeah, I definitely think that ESPN has realized how much people are loving these docu-series, and especially right now while we are in a lull with live sports, I'm super excited that they're going to keep entertaining us for the next weeks to come until we have live sports back. So a lot of good stuff to tune into. Yeah, no, I agree. I think if I read it correctly somewhere, there was about 6 million viewers on the first episode of The Last Dance. Yeah, it's insane. I think it was definitely breaking ESPN records, so good for them. It was worth it. Exactly. But with that being said, that kind of transitions us into today's segment, which is all about The Last Dance with Sebi from Sebi Podcast. We had a fantastic time having him on the podcast. We really appreciate him taking the time out of his day to hop on, talk sports. We talk about The Last Dance, but we also talk about a ton of different things. We talk about their latest article about the MLB, The Last Dance, a couple of NFL questions, and all of the above. So we really appreciate the time, and we hope that you guys really enjoy this episode. All right, what is up, guys? Welcome back. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Some just, I don't know, he's going to drop a ton of sports knowledge bombs for us today. I'm really excited to, to kind of talk with him. But we have Sebi from Sebi Podcast. Essentially, it is just a massive sports media conglomerate, in my personal opinion. They have a sports podcast, a website, a blog. They're, they're really up and coming and doing videos. some fantastic things. Videos. I mean, Sebi, what is up? Do you want to kind of maybe... Explain to the listeners exactly what Sebi Podcast and the brand is all about. Yeah, definitely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. Um, I love what you guys are doing. Um, you guys together is, is like a match made in heaven. So I love listening to you. Uh, thank definitely you. Always educating us and, and giving us the one of the best sports avenues out there. But yes, yeah, so um, yeah, we are a sports media uh, company. Well, pretty much now. Um, we didn't start off that way, so we ha- actually have a podcast that 
is here in the Central Florida area in Orlando. It airs every Tuesday and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Myself and Michael Gray um, is the host of that show and that podcast. We also stream that after, if you guys can't be there live, on all 15 different distributing platforms like you know, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And then we also have a show on YouTube where we interview coaches and athletes as well. So you guys can definitely check us out there and our social media platforms. So um, we're pretty much like the uh, slogan says, you know, wherever you go. So (laughs) I love your slogan, by the way. I I literally love your slogan. It's uh, isn't it whether you're on air or online, Sevy podcast is wherever you go, which man, that's that's fantastic. So I actually got that from one of my biggest mentors. So I'm a huge Colin Cowherd fan. So a huge Colin Cowherd, that's like one of the dudes that, you know, I revere and look up to because when Colin speaks, you listen. Like, he speaks facts, and he said something close to that, and I was like, mm, I'm going to use that and turn it my own way and make my own version of it. So, credit to Colin. <laughs> Shouting him out, but I, I do really like it. It is true. You guys are literally all over the place. Um, but how did you kind of get into podcasting and get into the YouTubing and kind of start the business in itself? Because we know that you played sports when you were younger and you've been around sports. So kind of how did you start podcasting and talking about it kind of in a more like social media um, kind of way? Yeah. So I've always loved sports. It's always been my first love. And um it, sports has always been my first thing. Kept me out of trouble. I was one of those mischievous kids, always getting tensions and getting, uh, you know, just being mischievous. And so, um, yeah, I got out of high school and I was like, what I want to do in my life? And just laid down one day and thought about starting a podcast. At first, I had no direction in this, no guidance. I uh, just started this on my own. And then, um, actually, one of my peers that went to high school with me. And she actually lives in Tennessee. How crazy that is. Oh, that oh very is crazy. Cool. Shout out. Yeah, she, she's from Chattanooga. Oh, that's and, not too uh, far. She's also a um, digital marketing manager. And, you know, the rest is history. We kind of set up ways to kind of distribute our platforms to make sure we're out there in the you know, world of social media. And she kind of set things up with a website, our, make our brand look professional. And then the rest is just history. We, you know, we stream and post every day daily so she's kind of helped us out so i had no direction in this and ever since like a year and a half in that's when everything started to come along and um, we've thus far have come a long way so man that's awesome that you were able to kind of connect with somebody to help you out and combine your strengths because that's what it's all about so with that being said i do kind of want to ask you because i know that as much as you are the CEO and head of this whole entire thing, I know that you have some fantastic people that work with you. So do you want to maybe shout them out real quick? Yeah, definitely. So um, one, of my, one of my main hosts is uh, Michael Gray, DC native, DC prodigy. So um, him and I have been working for about a, almost two years now with the podcast. And um, he's just, just been a great partner to work with. He's just not as knowledgeable as I am, so. (laughs) Shots fired, shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the chemistry is right there. Um, Also, Aaliyah, um, she is um, a a friend of mine that I knew at UCF, and she does a lot of the interviews with us as well. If you guys want to check out some of our athlete interviews on YouTube, you can check that out and see her there. Um, And also, the shout-out to the people behind the scenes, Um, Sam, Kevin Fleming, our videographers, photographers, they, without them, 
you know, they make us look good. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's their forte, for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned all the interviews and stuff that you do on YouTube. I know you said you talk to, like, players and coaches and stuff like that. And the interview aspect of a podcast is, like, slowly becoming one of our favorite parts because you really get to connect with people and you really get to kind of get different perspectives, which is kind of part of the reason we started podcasting in general. Um, So what's been your favorite interview so far? Because I know you've interviewed quite a few people. One of my favorite interviews? Ooh. Um... That's tough because if I say one, name drop the other, they're gonna come at me. So true. Uh, <laughs> okay, maybe a few. Who've been a few of your favorites? Um, it's tough. Um, the one where I was kind of like nervous and I was like, oh shoot, like I'm really in this. Like I think I made it, but I didn't really make it. But I, I got so overwhelmed. Uh, I went to the Manny Pacquiao and uh, Mayweather fight in Vegas. That's and I oh got, man! And I actually got a chance to interview um uh, Pacquiao. What? Pacquiao. That's insane. And, oh, you made um, it. You definitely yeah. made it. What, what are you talking about? What do you I mean? I felt that way. So it was in um, MGM Grand. Uh, it was one of his workouts. And I actually got a chance to um, get some footage of him working out, 40 years old, and he can still kick ass. It's insane. Um, yeah. But definitely, he's a really cool guy. Actually, his English is really, is really good. Like, you'd be surprised. So I think Manny Pacquiao was probably one of my favorite ones that I got a chance live to um, interact and definitely get some footage of. So, yeah. I um, mean, I can see why, because that one's definitely like an iconic and legendary one. And to say you did it before a Mayweather fight is pretty freaking cool, too, because that's also another legendary matchup between them. So if that was your favorite, who's your dream guest to have on? My dream guest? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bartholomew Brady. <laughs> I was going to say, is it going to be TV 12? <laughs> it is. Yeah, TV 12, definitely. Like, since one of my first games as a young child, I I think it was the 2000 Rams versus the, the Patriots. And at that time, the Rams were like the greatest thing on earth. You had Falk and Kurt Warner, and they were like, that team was unbeatable. Yep. And um, that was one of the first games I've ever watched as, as a young student. So. Till this day, it's, it resides with me. And so Tom Brady's has been my guy since day one. Other guys, too. I, I like Michael Phelps, and I'm a huge Nadal fan, too. But oh, hey, yes. shout out Rafa. Love it. Rafa. But, um, yeah, if I had one opportunity, Tom Brady. I mean, uh, he's a lot closer to you now, so you never know. He is. I will be attending games. <laughs> I was going to say, you might. Happen, I don't think that would happen, though, because if I was on camera, I'd, I'd be grinning too much. <laughs> Awkwardly so. cheesing the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Just write questions down on a piece of paper and don't even say a word. Just hand it to him. <laughs> right, right. That's so. funny. Well, He's that's awesome. Dunk, though, so. Yeah, no, I think Tom Brady would be a fantastic. I would love to, like, I don't know. I would love to just talk with Rafa, too. I would And, do, like, yeah. pick his brain and just. I don't know. I feel like he has so many fantastic stories that nobody ever hears about because he's maybe not so public about things. And he's also another player that has like an insane mindset too. Like I know we, I mean, Tom Brady has one and we're about to talk about the last dance, which obviously we all have seen the proof that MJ's mentality was insane. And I just The killer of killers. Rafa is another one that has like that intense mentality too. But he does it in a different kind of way. Like he's so subdued and just kind of like Nobody would know, but I think he definitely And he's also, like, he's, know. like, step-by-step. Like step. well like he's got this killer mentality on the field, but he's so nonchalant off the, off the field, like, you wouldn't know, so. Yeah, that's it's, another good one. Yeah. Man, Messi's a fantastic one. I, I'm i a massive Messi fan. I just, 
I think one, just the fact that he's not the biggest guy, that's that's a massive respect. And then two, the way he sees the play develop before he's even right. touched the ball. Like that's the one thing that I just pick from him and just be like, man, you are a goat at your craft from what you can do with the ball. It's fantastic, which I guess that kind of leads us into the last dance because somebody who, in my arguable opinion, could be the goat of all goats. Um, I think Sebi would maybe argue that as well with me. It would be Michael Jordan. Um, I mean, The Last Dance was one of my favorite documentaries that I've ever watched. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but what are your initial feelings after it's over with and, and kind of your thoughts on Michael Jordan and uh, just the whole entire documentary in, in a whole... Nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I always thought that nothing could top oj documentary like the suspensefulness the trauma but this is true better than that but um, that's yeah. true the, the last dance i thought they should at least make it again a remake or maybe 20 episodes like that was that was that was incredible from how mj started to not being highly recruited out of high school to them not making his jv team to you know going to north carolina being like one of the top players with on his team with um, James Worthy to making it to the third overall pick and then changing the whole franchise. So just that storyline um, leading up to the last dance was kind of incredible to kind of understand his roots and where he came from. So that was actually really instrumental to me. Yeah, I think it was crazy. I mean, I think we were talking earlier that you are kind of like in between generations and we're probably leaning a right around in between generations too, like definitely alive when he was playing. Um, but it wasn't like we were paying all of our attention to basketball at that point in our lives. And so it was insane to like actually see everything about his journey and just how he got to be the figure he is. Cause I think a lot of us who are bordering on that generational gap, like you said, just already know he's spectacular and he's the goat because of everything that's been told to us. But to actually see it unfold just gave me a whole new level of respect for him and kind of what brought him to be this like icon in all of our worlds and imaginations. Yeah, I also do want to say I think it was fascinating to be able to see like the background of Dennis Rodman because, for example, I didn't know all of the things that Dennis Rodman really did in that final season um, of their th- of their second three-peat. And so it was fascinating to see that backstory. It was fascinating to see Pippen. I knew that he went to UCA because... We were kind of, we lived in Arkansas for a while. So obviously if you lived in Arkansas for a while, you've heard the story of Scottie Pippen going to UCA, which is Conway, Arkansas, if anybody needs to know. Sorry. Little um, town. Yeah, little town. <laughs> and so I thought it was just really fascinating to be able to see the whole backstory and, and just the whole entire way that the team got put together, which I guess that kind of leads us into another person or point was Jerry Krause. So I just kind of want to say that name and let you kind of roll with it. <laughs> yeah, what were your thoughts on him? Like, and his kind of obviously position in both building and then derailing the team all at the same time. Well, yeah, you get the best of both worlds, like Hannah Montana says. You know? <laughs> <laughs> with, with Jerry Krause, you know, he's a fantastic uh, scouter, fantastic GM. You know, he's the one who obviously in 1987 when Jordan dropped, I think, like, they were really bad. They were like 30 and 52, made the playoffs and got swept by Larry Bird and the Celtics. That year, he traded to the fifth pick to get Scottie Pippen. He um, made moves to push Horace, to get Horace Grant to play with Jordan on that first three P, and then get Dennis Rodman from the Spurs. So he's done fantastic things as a GM, but 
I always thought that his ego kind of at the same time was a knock on him because, you know, in 98, he said that automatically right before the season started, Phil wouldn't come back. And MJ stated that, well, I'm not playing for no other coach than Phil. So right off the bat, I think telling the media and the team there wasn't a good look because, you know, they started off slow and then obviously, you know, what happened in the rest of history. But the, the psyche of the team and, and the organization was pretty much in the air, knowing that Phil might not come back, MJ might not come back, Scotty was unhappy with his contract situation. So I always thought Jeremy Krause, you know, it, kind of like just let his own ego be there because we all know like you know great organizations have to have great coaches so um i always thought that his ego was one of the things that kind of derailed that dynasty yeah i think so too i think there was even a few examples in there like to that point where whatever i think i can't remember which championship it was that they were interviewing him after but he basically said like this is a great organization the team is good but this is a great organization even in the midst of them celebrating a championship and i agree i think that just shows like his ego to need to prove that what he contributes is like more than the team or i don't know what he was trying to prove but i think it was shown a few different times that his ego was definitely kind of at making it at the expense of the team, I would say. Yeah. No, I think it's baffling. The fact that's like, I don't know, maybe more modern day kind of analogy would be like the Warriors telling Steve Kerr on the Warriors brink of going for three that if you don't win, you're gone. Like, but even if you do win, but you're even gone if you too. do win, you're yeah. still gone. Like, that's just, yeah. I could not there fathom. Never. Be like never. And so. <laughs> That's just, but I do want to kind of ask this question because it got me kind of thinking. So, in your eyes, who's the ultimate Chicago Bulls goat? Is it Reinsdorf? Because at the end of the day, Reinsdorf was the one that brought Jerry Krause in and gave him a job. Or was it Krause? Because, I mean, he assembled arguably one of the greatest teams ever. Or, I mean, is it MJ? Because, like MJ said, you know, kind of without that one match, you never get the spark, which kind of gave him six rings. Um, I would say neither. I think it's Phil. I think it's Phil Jackson. Ooh, I, I think love that. Greg, Greg Popovich, I think he would be second all-time to me and, and head coach of all-time. But um, Phil Jackson, they don't win rings without Phil, right? Just like MJ and Pippen don't win rings without themselves, but they don't win rings without Phil. Think about this. When MJ started his first seasons, they got beaten and bruised by those Lakers. Yep. Um, uh, you know, James Worthy and uh, Lake Kareem and and young magic, but the Celtics beat them up. The bad boy Pistons played football with them on, on the front of the court. And so it wasn't until Phil came in, had the structure for the team, definitely infused that triangle offense and ensured that, hey, MJ, when we play, I know how Doug played with you. He put the ball in your hands. Well, what we're going to do is the team knows, and the opponents know, you're going to have the ball in your hands. So we're going to have the ball in your hands on the wing and let Scotty the focal point of the offense, so that way that can you can move around, and that makes it a lot harder for people to play. So I think Phil has to get as much recognition as much as Reindorf and, and Krause, and I think he's the goat because at the same time, who knows, Michael may not be this successful without Phil. So. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I think it kind of goes, you know, kind of to kind of go back on your Boston um, fanship, if you will. I guess Tom Brady is not the goat without Bill Belichick. And Bill right. Belichick is not the GOAT without Tom Brady. Like, that's just kind of how it goes. You know, you got to have a great coach. 
and a great player. And I think that's a great point. And I I should have put his name in there, I think. I know. I think it's interesting, too. Like like you said, if there was any other coach in there, I don't know that they would have been able to handle, like, the personalities of a Dennis Rodman or, that's right. like, that's allowing, right. you know, Michael Jordan. I know it was a controversial part in the, the docuseries, but if he needed to go gamble and, like, let some steam off to be able to be mentally right, like, he, I don't think anybody else could have been able to balance all of these different players and their needs because they were all so different, like Phil Jackson did. So I think that's a really good point that he probably – is like the glue that made it all happen. I love his background though. I, I mean, his coaching background is fantastic. I don't I don't know if you know exactly like if you ever ran down or maybe you remember it, but I can't remember for the life of me what the team was that he was coaching in Mexico or, or Puerto Rico. Yeah, but... it was a European <laughs> team. Yeah, it was a European squad that he was coaching. And then uh Kraus, I guess Kraus and um Jackson's relationship has always been strong. So yeah. with Phil Jackson, what I thought that dynamic with him and Dennis is actually cool because in the 70s, he was a player yeah. um, for the Knicks. And he was the same type of player as Dennis. Very hot-headed, um, stubborn. You couldn't talk to him. He was uncoachable. And I thought that Dennis and him could relate. That's why he gave him leeway to yeah. go out and party or go out WWE, come out with Hulk Hogan on the Man. scene. I thought that was interesting. So um, Phil Jackson is is an instrumental what the Bulls did. Think about it like this. Kobe doesn't win his rings without uh, a Phil. Oh, I agree. With Shaq and then um, went back to Montana where his ranch is, where he grew up and had to call Phil again for those back-to-back titles with Paul Gasol and Lamar Odom. So, you know, Phil Jackson has been instrumental for probably the two greatest players ever. Yeah, I was going to say, and two really strong, like, dynasties too. I mean, both of those teams did a lot. So I think that's a really good point. Um, but we brought up quite a few other, like, random side stories. So throughout this entire docuseries, which story was your favorite to follow? Obviously, MJ's was the biggest, but were there any of the side stories that you really loved getting to see? Um, the side stories, there were uh, probably a couple. I thought that the Steve Kerr thing, I didn't know about his dad. I we thought didn't. that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I didn't um, either. Yeah, I, I didn't not know that so um you learn something new every day don't you so yeah. i thought that was actually pretty cool um and also what the motivation for mj that he lost in 93 after that title with when they beat the sons and six um and john paxton at that shot to retire to you know follow his heart follow his dreams I, I can relate this with tim tebow you know as a football player one of the greatest you know college you know players ever but his whole dream was to be a ball player in the majors and so he had to pursue that i thought mj as well always loved baseball grew up loving baseball retired played for the white Sox, and then obviously it didn't pan out but you know for him to do that a lot of factors happened his father died as well so um those two kind of stood out to me for sure so i want to ask you regarding that backstory so because the mlb there was a lot i mean there's a lot if and or's or buts because he didn't get to play that many games. So do you think right. that if he had the opportunity to play the amount of games that a full season would have had, do you think that he, I mean, he his batting average was slowly creeping up. He was kind of getting the hang of things. Do you think he could have been a force to reckon with in the MLB? I mean, um, well, knowing now and knowing back then from what we know about MJ's mentality as a competitor, I wouldn't put anything past him. Facts. Especially back in those days in 94, I think he was still pretty elite you know physically with his athleticism yeah. so i could see him play shortstop or outfield and being a 
you know, maybe like a, you know, double-double machine or something. So right. I thought he could have definitely been very impressive if he had the opportunity to play in the majors. I don't think he got there, though. I think he played in the triple-A or double-A. Yeah, I think he was in double-A. And I was going to ask, too, yeah. because that was, like, the season that the whole player strike happened. Do you think that if the player strike wouldn't have happened that he would have ended up going back to basketball, or do you think he would have stuck with baseball? I think we all agree that with his mentality he could have made it, but do you think that he would have stuck with it, or do you think he always would have ended back up with basketball? Um, I, I think at that time the MLB as a whole had issues. Um, at that time, if you guys remember, I think we had the great Braves teams with uh, Tom Glavin and you know, some of those great teams, Tom Maddox as well, but the whole baseball organization was going to a lot of turmoil internally, so I don't think it was really MJ. I, I thought they really had problems structure from organization up. So I don't think that really would have been an issue or the dynamics would have changed. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I think you can't really blame MJ for any of that. It just was unfortunate that it panned out when MJ was actually in the MLB because I would have loved to just see what could have been. Um, but I'm also really glad because we got to see him bat in a Chicago Bulls uniform. So kind of transitioning back to the basketball side of things, what was your favorite part of The Last Dance? Favorite part of the last dance to me was um, the hurdles that MJ faced and had to come back, you know, get beat up and and eighty nine and ninety and said, okay, I got, I know I'm too small. I got to gain fifteen pounds to get go after Isaiah, go after Lambeer, and that was a young Dennis Rodman at the time, and and beat them, and then obviously in ninety one through their title run, they swept them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Being down in Game Seven against Patrick Ewing and those those great Knicks years, being able to overcome all that, you know, Reggie Miller in '98 Eastern Conference Finals, everybody thought that that might have been it. Yeah. Like, yeah, Mark Jackson, that was a great team with the Pacers. Yeah, that Being was. able to withstand that. Yeah, that was a bunch of dogs. Right, and then obviously the Jazz, you beat them the previous year. Malone was MVP in '97. They want some revenge. Come back in '98 and do it. So. All of the hurdles that could have, you know, altered MJ from losing the title, he always figured out a way to be on top. And I, that's just a true testament of him as a great competitor. Like, you can never take that from him. Yeah, no, I agree. I also, I was so sad since you brought up Carl Malone's name. He rejected getting interviewed for the Last Dance documentary, which I don't blame him. But also, I would have loved to hear what he had to say. Because I think it would have just been fascinating to hear his take on things. But I think you have the I think you're spot on. I think that was maybe one of my favorite parts or takeaways as well was just his downright competitive edge. Literally, you could say I don't know who I was talking with, but I was talking with somebody else and they they made this joke. You could say his shoe was tied the wrong way. And if he didn't like the way you said that, the next time you did something competitive against him, you were gonna get your ass handed to you. I mean, that's, that was just the bottom line. And then you were cool. Then you were friends afterwards. Uh, so, no, I think that was a fantastic point. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think his mentality was probably one of my favorite things in the whole entire documentary series. Yeah, I agree. And I think that was definitely the thing that resonated the most in the entire thing. I think it came up time and time again. And I think maybe that was the point of the whole docuseries in general is just showing everybody who didn't know like what really went into him being who he was like we talked and just like everything he had to do and everything he had to be in order to make that reality was insane like, yeah that's I, crazy i mean it showed itself whenever you literally saw him start to cry because he talked about if you don't want to win yeah 
that I'm sorry, like that I want to win. And he like had to call for a break. Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes to show the testament of what he was able to, or not really the testament, but maybe just the abilities that he was able to go through and overcome to become a winner and to become the GOAT. And that's arguable, of course. But I mean, the fact of the matter is he willed them and took them. And I know that he had some fantastic pieces around him, but he took them to six finals, had six finals MVPs, and six championships. And six championships. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it's fantastic what he's able to, to accomplish. And so it was really, I, I personally, I think that's a great point. The OJ documentary, it's hard to argue. But I think that the MJ, The Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary is definitely up there in terms of one of my favorite sports documentaries. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative that you were able to come on and talk with us about The Last Dance. And I think that we could have talked for probably hours and hours and hours about this because of how much was shared and how much was kind of unfolded that we really all didn't know from this documentary. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. I have a question for you guys, though. Yeah, 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 of yeah, course. They said that, you know, MJ was upset that they couldn't go for a number seven, obviously, you know, with management and their their issues that they had. But uh, do you think that they would have gotten number seven? Do you want me to go or you? I'll go first. So I... If you just kept everything the same, because like we said, there's a lot of different things that could have panned out differently. Like, I mean, Pippen could have, like you said, been super unhappy with his contract and he was free to go other places. And if he went somewhere else, that would change the entire, obviously, trajectory of that team. So if everything was consistent, I absolutely think they would have gotten a seventh just because I don't think MJ would have let them not get it. Um, so if you still had the same team or at least like the same core three and you still had Phil Jackson, I think they would have gotten seven. Yeah, no, I think so as well. I think that's a great question because I think like Steph said, if everything stayed the same and it was constant, everybody came back for another year and I'm not the biggest NBA guru. I don't remember the statistics of every single team that year, but I do remember that from what I read and, and watched the NBA next year was not as strong as they were the previous years. And I think that the Bulls probably would have gotten that seventh. I think so. I, I believe it. But what you about you? So? Yeah. Well, I, I think so too. Because if you guys remember back that year in 99, there was a lockout. So instead of 82 games, there was 50 games. So for a team that just had a three-peat, they were already gassed. And people don't know, like a three-peat is really hard to do. Like oh, it's, sure. it's only been done four times historically. So mentally the draining the toll in your head so for a whole team like that the 50 games would have been perfect for them i thought mj and, and, and scotty might have paced their their way because of that year uh patrick ewing list Knicks made the finals so you're telling me exactly patrick ewing list Knicks team and a michael jordan team wouldn't make the finals um, yeah thank so you they, they would they would have definitely had an opportunity now in the finals with uh prime David Robinson and a young Tim Duncan might have given him problems, but I would still bet on Michael Jordan to figure out a way and unlock that way to beat him. No, so. yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's another fantastic point that you made is that that was the lockout year. And I think MJ actually suffered a hand injury going into that offseason. So that lockout would have given him appropriate amount of time to be in his prime and come back fully healthy. So I think that's a great point. But with that being said, I do want to kind of talk to you about a couple of other sports topics while we have you on here because. As much as we do love basketball, we love all, all other sports. And you guys just kind of dropped an article that was really fascinating to us. And it was about the MLB losing a crazy amount of money. So 
essentially, if you will, will you just kind of give a uh, Cliff Notes version of the article? And then uh, I, I just kind of wanted to talk about a couple of points that I thought really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Well, first and foremost, I have to give a shout out to Ty. Ty Tracy is one of our um, lead writers on our squad. So I know that my face looks good, but it's a help of a team. And he's, he's one of our fantastic writers and he's been working with us for quite some time now. So he actually wrote that article and then I called him. But yeah, it, it, the baseball is pretty much in an issue right now where they want to start this season. They're talking about either Florida and Arizona as you know, possible destinations to start ball, but the media aspect and contracts are an issue, and without fans, they're going to be losing a ton of money, and that's in ticket sales, that's in revenue, and here's here's a thought for you guys, here's a statistic, just the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs alone, those teams would be losing over $2,000 of revenue, like just annual yeah. As ticket sales because those are one of the highest paid cap teams in the majors. Obviously, we know the Yankees and the Red Sox are up there, but the Dodgers, we talk about the Cubs and the Mets, they would be losing significant amount of money without fans. So yeah. that's where the challenge lies right now. And that was a great article where we thought that, you know, the consumers and the audience audience needed to know what was going on in the world of baseball. Yeah, I think that's super insightful because a lot of us sit back and are just like, I mean, if it's possible to play, why are we not playing? Or like, it's just easy to assume that as soon as it's possible to come back, that everybody will just come back so quickly. But there's a lot more that goes into actually bringing people back. And like you said, all the contracts involved between media and players and coaches, like there's so much more that goes into the situation than just bringing sports back as soon as possible. Right. So that's that's one of the reasons that we wrote that. And negotiations are still going on, but Sealing and the commissioner have their hands tied now. So we'll see where it lies, and we'll continue to keep you guys updated on info. I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys kind of show us and share us all these up-to-date information on, on kind of how the MLB comes back and hopefully... Sooner rather than so, later. Exactly. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. But I do want to talk to you about two more things, if you don't mind, real quick. And then we'll, we'll kind of end this because I know this is a little longer than normal. We're sorry, guys, but this has been such a fantastic episode. And we've enjoyed talking with Stubby so much. So I want to pick your brain for two more questions. So you asked us on our podcast, if you guys want to go back and listen, it's episode 30. You asked us who the real goat of the NFL is. And uh, I got to kind of turn the tables on you because uh, we're interviewing you this time. So who is the real goat of the NFL in your opinion? See, this is hard. Because my heart tells me you know who. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but in the NFL, it's really hard because you have a lot of there's positions. There's a lot of things that factor in um, eras and, and things of that nature. So um, it's really hard. If I, Growing up, to me, obviously, I'm going to tell who I was. But if you look back and, and go down memory lane in history, Lawrence Taylor was probably one of the more dominant forces like the league's ever seen with the Giants. So he could be revered as that as well. Um, you have people like, you know, Ray Lewis and, and Ed Reed, where I thought they were great, except when they played the Patriots, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to pick a go um, conversation. So um, I'm actually tied here, but, I, I would I would just say that you really I would go eras and I would go like different positions because I if agree. you told me the quarterback position I would say Tom Brady 
They can tell me the little middle linebacker position I'd either say Lawrence Taylor or Ray Lewis. If you told me the safety position, I'd say Ronnie Lott or Ed Reed. Mm, if you Ed told Reed, yeah. me, um, you know, as a pass rusher, I'd tell you Reggie White, Warren Sapp, or maybe Aaron Donald. So, like, it, it, it's different levels and different tiers. So it's really hard in the NFL, whereas in the NBA, you know, it's not a lot of teams, a lot of players in, in a team. You have a 50-man, 53-man roster in football, so it's hard to dissect those. Yeah, I agree. We even heard, like, maybe this morning or the other day on ESPN when everybody's constantly talking about in the NBA, like, especially after this docuseries, is like, who's the GOAT of the NBA? But nobody's asking that same question in the NFL, and I think you just explained exactly why that conversation doesn't come up nearly as much, and it's just because there's so many different positions whose goals and, like, um, their statistics and stuff are based on completely different things. So it's a much harder conversation, I think, in the NFL than it is in the NBA. Yeah, no, I agree with that point. I also, I will say this, when we're talking about the GOAT conversation, it's always so hard to say who is a GOAT because at the end of the day, if you are a sports lover or a sports fan, most of the time you just appreciate the greatness for what it is and you just really enjoy that athlete for what they bring to the table that very, that given day. And so I think you touched on a great saying, a GOAT of each position. So I'm really glad that you said that. And I will say this. Shout out to Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Those two were some bad dudes. My God, they knocked some heads off. I loved watching them play. The only really clip that I've ever gotten to watch of Lawrence Taylor, unless it's like a throwback video or a throwback NFL game, was him breaking that guy's leg. I forget his name. Um, But that being said, Lawrence Taylor is still a beast. And I like how you brought up defensive players because a lot of the times they get slept on in the GOAT conversation. So... I want to flip it, though, because I want to talk about a little offense because you listened to our previous podcast where we talked about our top five quarterbacks and we left off Dak before everybody starts yelling at us because they just realized that we did leave off Dak from our list. The reason is because he is currently not actively on the Cowboys under and contract. under contract. So we left him off because there is still some hesitation. But I want to talk to you about Dak real quick. What do you think is going to happen with this whole Dak situation? Do you think he's going to sign the, f- the five-year deal that the Cowboys want him to sign? Do you think the Cowboys are going to bend a little bit and give him a four-year deal? Do you think that he's just going to have to sign the franchise tag? What, what do you think? Yeah, see, well, before this in training camp, I thought that Dak had leverage, you know, because of the great season he came off of statistically, nearly through 500 yards, uh, almost through for about 68% of his completion percentages over last year and you know just a career year across the board and then of course plot twist dandy dalton gets on <laughs> right Jones is basically putting dak in the hot seat saying that well if you don't sign this you know we're gonna make a decision for you yeah and it might not it might get ugly so um i just think that now you know jerry has the upper hand i still think dak is gonna start um you know I, Andy Dalton is a very competent quarterback, um, starter-ish, but he would be great as a backup. But I think with the weapons that the Dallas Cowboys have with Gallup, now one of my favorite players in the draft is CeeDee Lamb and, and Amari Cooper, and of course Zeke, one of my favorite players in the game, oh, yeah. I think that they're set up for potentially like monstrous years offensively. So I think Dak deserves to be the guy at helm under center. Yeah. Um, I think it would be a slap on the face if Andy Dalton just kind of took his place. Yeah. But um, I think I do think he'll start. I just think the contract negotiation things are something that they're going to have to 
because it is dicey. Yeah, it is getting very interesting as time goes on. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see kind of how it pans out. We definitely agree. We hope he that Dak is the one who's actually starting next year because that team could be powerful and maybe the Cowboys can make a little comeback to the historical levels that they are used to being at. So yeah, we will see. I was just shocked that they signed Nathan Dalton record, to that contract, though. though. Man. For, for the record, I didn't say Dak is the top five quarterback. but No, yeah, yeah, yeah my bad, my bad. <laughs> he, he does – he does deserve um, to be the quarterback. Um, I think you guys were discussing about maybe surprising. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked about like maybe some quarterbacks who could also end the year amidst the conversation. And we definitely agree. Like as soon as we know for sure that Dak's going to be playing, then I think he would definitely make the cut because, like you said, the weapons he has are pretty insane. So it w- I would have a hard time believing that he wouldn't be successful if and when he does end up playing next season. Yeah, no, I agree. My bad. Yeah, we weren't saying that you said he was top five. It was just in the whole conversation of quarterbacks that were just yeah, bringing essentially bringing, uh, or essentially quarterbacks that we thought could be household names, which Dak, obviously being the quarterback of the Cowboys, is already household name. But we were talking about quarterbacks that we thought kind of were going to have fantastic seasons. So if he does, when he does sign that contract, he'll be on that list. Yeah, for sure. But I think that kind of is going to wrap up um, our conversation and our questions because we seriously enjoyed having you on here. So thank you so much for joining us to talk about The Last Dance and then just some miscellaneous sports thing we wanted to get your opinions on and perspectives too because we obviously appreciate and respect your contributions to all the sports conversations going on. So seriously, thank you so much for joining. And if you could. Yeah, no, the pleasure is all yours. I, this is actually one of my favorite things. I love collaborations. I love connecting with like our podcast community, um, definitely whether that be through on our show or their shows, it's a different element. And I, I yeah. think that that's pretty unique to see different people on different shows on the podcast. And that also builds support. So the pleasure is on all yours. Yeah, no, we agree. We thoroughly enjoy connecting with you. One, being able to talk on the podcast and get you to kind of drop some knowledge bombs for all of our listeners. But two, we also really enjoy following along with you on Instagram <laughs> watching your IG lives and just following along with all the study podcast brand that it entails. So if you would, where can everybody find you if they want to connect with you? I know that you mentioned it in the beginning, but why not just mention it one last time in case anybody missed it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so everybody can find us on our social media platforms, of course, on YouTube, on where we interview some of our athletes and coaches. Instagram and Twitter, we post daily on Instagram, especially on our lives. Twitter, you can keep up with all the news and latest stuff that we get from there. Um, and also, if you just want a more in-depth overview about us, you can always check us out on sebipodcast.info. Um, that's again, sebipodcast.info. It entails everything about us, our videos, our podcasts, if you want to go back and listen to them, and much more. Seriously, guys, go check them out. Once you're done leaving a little rating, review, all of the above, click down below for the information. We'll tag all of his kind of social medias and all that kind of good stuff. You can go follow along with his accounts, go follow along with all of his brands, and and just get all the information that he shares because I know, for one, I personally enjoy seeing all the information he shares on a daily basis. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we will see you guys next time.